You're listening to audio from Journey Bible Church. Join us every week for sermons from God's Word by subscribing to this podcast wherever you like to listen most. If you would like to connect with us, head to journeybible.org connect. Morning. Church, it's great to be with you. If you're a guest here this morning, uh, my name's uh, Pastor Mike, and I serve Jesus here on staff at Journey Bible Church. And we believe as a church that the best thing we can do for you is to help you discover God's ways and God's will from his word. And we know that as you do that, then you are beginning to listen to God because the Bible tells us that God speaks through his word to give us understanding and insight into who we are and how he created us. As a matter of fact, this morning we start a new uh, five-week series on the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, And just to be honest with you, how many of you have ever tried something you've never done before and you were scared of? I'm scared of the book of Ecclesiastes. It has been considered one of the most difficult books in the Old Testament to understand in all of the Bible. As a matter of fact, there are so many different interpretations of the book of Ecclesiastes that it's hard to find three or four or five that agree with each other. Let me set a context for you. The Old Testament is divided into four sections. It begins with the law, and it moves to books of history, then it moves to books of wisdom, and then it moves to books of prophecy. And and all four fully divulge for us how God works in our world and who God is. And so the wisdom books, there are five of them, like Job and Proverbs, and that's where we find the book of Ecclesiastes. The wisdom books are to help us look at life and process life and figure out how to live in this world in a way that pleases God. In terms of the central message of the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, there's been little agreement. Um, Even some have doubted the genuineness of Ecclesiastes, have doubted that Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, have doubted that it should be in the Bible. Jerome, one of the church fathers, actually used the book of Ecclesiastes as a proof that our world is messed up and meaningless, and the only reasonable response would be to become a monk. And that's how he used the book of Ecclesiastes as a tool to try to get people into a monastic life devoted to only engaging with God alone. So let me just a couple of things as we head into the book of Ecclesiastes. And over the next five weeks as we work through it, we will divulge more about the book. But this morning, just a couple of things. Number one, don't try to outline this book. If you go looking for outlines, you're going to find a whole bunch of different outlines. Think of this book more as a diary, more as a a spiritual journal. The preacher, who we'll talk about in a minute, is writing for us his musings. And what he does is he gives us a preface, which we're going to look at this morning. We're not going to look at the conclusion in chapter 12. And then in between, he builds his case of how he came to the conclusion, the final matter in chapter 12. 
And there's tension as we work through it. As a matter of fact, in the book of Ecclesiastes, like a lot of great books, there are certain refrains, certain uh, uh, phrases and words that are used several times. And unless we understand those key refrains, we miss the message that the author is building for us and the struggles that he's processing. And so as we come across these, we're going to unfold them and make sure that we grasp the meaning of these refrains as we move from the introduction of his theme this morning to the final conclusion that he will have later. I want you to think a wise man is trying to experience life and match it up with what he believes. He's trying to match beliefs with experiences. And as he does it, he's brutally honest. How many of you have a spiritual journal? I'm just curious. Not many of you. That really makes this hard. (laughs) In my spiritual journal, I will sometimes write things I want no one else to read. If you ever had a diary as a kid, like if somebody got a hold of your diary and brought it to school, freak you out, right? And so we're reading something someone's soul is processing, and he's letting us follow along. Second, I want you to think of the book of Ecclesiastes. This is kind of the main idea of the book. He's trying to square his faith in God with the facts of life in this world. And just to be honest with you, a little preview of where we're going is he, as he processes this, he says, if I look at it in this one way, it doesn't square. It doesn't make sense. I can't figure it out. I mean, why is life so hard? Why do bad things happen to good people? And why do good things happen to bad people? Why is there suffering? Why is evil ever out of control? Why do we have disasters? You know, as a young child, I can remember hiding under my bed in my room. My home was broken. It was full of alcoholism. It was full of violence. And I remember lying under my bed and wondering, is this what life is like? I'm sure many of you have had moments in your life where something has happened and you're like, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't fit. This, it's backwards. It's upside down. It's twisted. It's inside out. It's, It's not right. So if you got your Bibles, turn with me to chapter one of the book of Ecclesiastes. And I always encourage you, bring your Bible, whether it's a paper Bible or an electronic one, and follow along. Read along with me. Uh, If you are one of those people that can't get the font big enough on your phone, you can always follow along on the screen. We'll try to get it big enough for you there. So there's four things I want to discuss this morning out of chapter one of the book of Ecclesiastes. One is the preacher and who it is. Two is the main problem. What is it that is the main problem for the preacher? And then second, as he deals with this main problem, what's his struggle? What is he struggling with? And then fourth, there's a challenge. At the end uh, of our time this morning, I uh, want to challenge you a little bit. Um, And part of that challenge is going to feel uncomfortable. 
Because I'm going to ask you to do something that's not easy. So let's start with the preacher. The preacher is wrestling with life, and he wants to identify himself for us by describing who he is, not giving us his name. The words of the preacher, the son of David, the king in Israel. The word uh, preacher that you see there, you may have another version that may be translated teacher or the man on a quest, or it may give you literally the Hebrew transliteration koheleth, which is spelling out with English letters the Hebrew word. The word preacher means uh, someone who is on a quest. It, it, it means someone who is trying to gain information so that they can share it with others. And so that's his desire, is as a king, as in the royal line, as we'll, we heard read in verse 16, as probably the wisest man on earth. He's on a journey, he's on a quest, and as the preacher, as the communicator, as the teacher, he's got something to share with you about what he has discovered. Most uh, uh, up until the 17th century and the Enlightenment, almost everyone universally believed that Solomon is the one who wrote this book. And I want to remind you, it's, it's not a sermon, it's not a prophecy, it's not history, it's not narrative. This is a book of reflections of a wise man pondering and processing. He's looking for correspondence between his faith in God and the problems and the pains of living in this world. So let's walk through some more of these verses and as an introduction to the book, see where the preacher begins his journey, his musings, his reflections. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. That phrase, uh, vanity of vanities, is not only repeated at the very beginning of the book, it's also repeated at the very end of the book. And then the word vanity is used 38 times throughout the book as a refrain. It's in every chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes at least once, except the 10th chapter. It's a constant refrain that's descriptive of what he's wrestling with. The word vanity means that literally, it, it meant a vapor, like a breath. Um, it, it, it would be a puff of wind. In other words, it's something that's fleeting and something you can't grasp, you can't hold on to. And, and metaphorically, it was used for something uh, that is unsubstantial or empty or unreliable. It, it, it's a picture of life's ups and downs and twists and turns and, and saying that they all end up coming to something useless and meaningless and futile. In other words, he's saying by vanity of vanities, 
and repeating it, he's giving a great emphasis. That was a Hebrew way of emphasizing the reality of something. Don't just say it once, say it twice, and then add to it a supportive. Not only is it vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Everything comes to nothing. It's useless. It's meaningless. It's futile. Where's the value? Where's the significance? Where's the meaning? This is what he's wrestling with. Does life have meaning? Does it have significance? Does it have purpose? Can you find happiness? And he's starting out from the vantage point that it seems to all be empty, all be futile. And now he's going to process why he's saying that and why that is his starting point. He says this, what does man gain by all the toil, all the labor, all the work that he does under the sun? So we have another phrase that's going to be repeated over 30 times in the book from start to finish, under the sun. So we have vanity and under the sun, two key refrains that we must understand so that we can unlock what the preacher is trying to tell us. And he's saying, look, man, if I invest in a, in a business, I want dividends, I want a profit. And he's saying, when I go through life, there is inside of me an expectation that there will be a dividend to life, a meaning to life, a happiness to life, a purpose to life. And he's saying, when I look at life under the sun, I can't find it. So that phrase, under the sun, is really important. This is what he's wrestling with. Now, first of all, under the sun doesn't mean heading to a beach in Mexico. Okay, He's not saying you got to get outdoors to figure out the book of Ecclesiastes. Under the sun means if I look at life on a horizontal basis, from a humanistic vantage point, just evaluating life on what life reveals about itself, I'm wondering what the profit is. So if I just look for the key to life, in life itself, that's what he means by under the sun. I'm going to use my five senses I'm going to examine the material world in which I live, and I'm going to seek to unlock the meaning of life. And his starting point is, if that's where I start, it seems like it's futile, that there is no meaning, that life doesn't work. One of the things that, as you read this book, I think you will find out is he's not really in this kind of struggle and wrestle and processing. He's not going to say God doesn't exist. He's going to ask the question, is God even relevant? And you know, as we're going to read, what goes around comes around, and, and I think that's one of the big questions of our culture as they look at everything that's happening 
And man's doing his very best to orchestrate his own answers. By the way, I think the church needs a good theology of climate change. Because the Bible actually tells us what's going on with our climate right now and where it's headed. Many of you don't know that, but it does. And what we see unfolding is what the Bible calls birth pangs. Now, those of you that want to totally disagree with me, feel free to call one of my sons. Okay? When we look at the world as it is, and we try to discover meaning from the world as it is, under the sun, we will struggle. See, what he's going to now unfold of us for us is this is the problem. This is what he's wrestling with. When I look at the world and I try to figure out the world from the world, from the material world in which I live, life appears to be meaningless. It feels confusing. It feels contradictory. It feels ordered and then absolutely random. Look at verse 4. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. A generation comes. There's people being born. A generation goes. There are people dying. And whether it's cradles or coffins, the earth remains the same. The sun rises. The sun goes down. The sun hastens to the place again where it rises. It's a monotonous routine that happens over and over and over again. What is the purpose? What is the meaning? What is the significance? The wind blows to the south, goes around to the north. In Kansas, it blows all the time. It goes to the east. It goes to the west. It changes every day. And on its circuits, the wind returns. And at the same time that you are watching and feeling and sensing the wind and where it comes from, it changes direction. And it doesn't seem to have purpose or meaning or order. And you can never grasp the wind. It's just like life. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. How does that happen? Like you turn on the spout to your bathtub, at some point it overflows. He's just looking at it. He's just being real. He's saying, okay, these streams run day after day, week after week, year after year, decade after decade, century after century, and the earth, the sea doesn't fill. And where does the water come from to refill all the streams? Because they start flowing again. He says, what is this cycle? Who can make sense of it? All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. The ear is not filled with hearing. In other words, the more I experience life, look at life, touch life, feel life, try on life, I'm not filled. I'm not satisfied. You know, kind of reminds me of the squirrel in a cage 
on a wheel going round and round, faster and faster, lots of activity, but not really going anywhere. He goes on. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. No matter how hard we look, no matter how hard we work, no matter how much we conquer, things are the same. Now remember, he's looking at life under the sun. He's looking at it apart from a moral dimension. He's just looking at the realities of what he can see and hear and taste and smell and touch. And he's saying that here we are, thousands of years. By the way, here we are, thousands of years later. We are the most technologically advanced culture in history with more information by thousands of times more than any other culture has ever had. And we are the most suicidal, discontent, divisive, miserable people that have ever existed. There's nothing new under the same. And the more it changes, the more it stays the same. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. All the same, all the same ups, all the same downs, all the same twists, all the same turns, all the same good, all the same evil, over and over and over again. That's what he's saying. Vanity, futility. If I look at the world and I'm trying to figure out the meaning of life from looking at the world, it seems like I'm a squirrel in a cage on a wheel. Now, just a little aside, church. And for those of you that might be watching online or those of you that will watch online or those of you that are here that are on a quest to discover the meaning of life. As we work through this book, He's trying to unfold for you the reality that until you realize that materialism and hedonism and rationalism and humanism and all those other isms can't give you the meaning of life, you won't be willing to go down the road on a journey to discover where the meaning of life is. As a little aside... He says, can we say of a thing, is this new? Like, is there anything new? By the way, just got to do this. Spoiler alert on the book of Ecclesiastes right now. The New Testament tells us that in Jesus Christ, everything is new. New creation, new commandment, new covenant, new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem, new nature. It's powerful. But until you are fed up with thinking that this material world will give you the meaning and satisfaction and contentment for which your soul is built, 
Everything under the sun is going to seem futile and empty and meaningless. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be. All the statues will eventually be torn down. I made that up. That was supposed to be funny. That's our culture. We don't want to remember the past. We won't want to remember the future. You're going to live your life. You're going to die. This will be one of the things he talks a ton about. And then what? Under the sun, maybe you're the most successful person in the world. You've acquired all the wealth in the world, and then you give it to somebody, and they gamble it away in two days. Then what? You're gone. You didn't take it with you. You spent your whole life amassing something that could be squandered by someone you don't even know for a reason you don't even agree with. This is the struggle. This is what he's wrestling with. And to put it a little more intensely, like I've hinted at, life appears to have no key. If you just look at life to find the meaning of life, Think of it this way. Say, say that life is a lock that has meaning, and you have to open the lock to find the meaning. And you look at the lock to find the key to the lock, and you don't find the key to the lock. You're frustrated. You never unlock it. And that's what's going on here. He says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. By the way, this is a slightly different way of saying under the sun. Because now what he's saying under heaven is I'm still only looking to the horizontal. I'm recognizing there may be a heaven. I'm recognizing there may be a God. I'm recognizing there may be revelation. But I'm applying my wisdom to seek and search out all that is done under heaven, not all that comes from heaven. And when I take that vantage point, it's an unhappy business that God has given to me and to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, it's vanity, it's meaningless, it's futile, it's empty. It's like striving after the wind, trying to catch a wind Grab it, hold it, take it with me. The preacher's telling us that by looking at life, he can't figure out life. Everything under the sun, everything apart from understanding God and his rule and his reign ends up to feeling like I'm chasing the wind, striving after the wind, trying to, to catch the wind. He says, what is crooked cannot be made straight. In other words, if it's twisted, it can't be straightened out. And then there are things that are lacking that you can't discover, you can't count. What he's saying is life is full of anomalies where you have these twists and you have these voids and you can't explain them. You don't have the power and the knowledge 
and the ability to explain everything that goes on in this world. So he says, I've said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. I applied my heart to know that wisdom. And he says, even to keep my eye on madness and folly. In other words, just to make sure that wisdom and knowledge that I gained by looking horizontally, I also wanted to look at the people that said, you know what? Heck with wisdom. Heck with knowledge. I'm going after pleasure. I'm going after hedonism. I'm going to go get what I can get while I'm here. And he says, I kept my eye on those people, and I perceived all this horizontal looking for life under the sun is a striving after wind. For the more wisdom I got, the more grief I discovered. The more knowledge I got, the more sorrow I discovered. The more I know, he says, the more I realize I don't know. The more I think I have figured it out, all of a sudden something happens, then realize, I realize I don't have it figured out. So chapter one is letting us into his wrestling. It's introducing to us the reflections that he's going through, the processing that he has, looking at the world, trying to figure out where's the meaning, where's the substance, where's the hope, where's the joy, where's the happiness. But I want to remind you, he's only looking under the sun. So maybe if you can't find the key to the lock, maybe you need to go to the one who created the lock. Maybe you need to go to the locksmith. And that's exactly where this book is going to challenge us. If meaning is not under the sun, then maybe our hope is above the sun. If light can't be searched out by the wisest human, maybe it's because life needs to be revealed by the living God. Maybe the key to finding meaning in life is not by looking at the creation, but looking at the creator. Maybe this broken temporal world does not hold the answers. Maybe it's only meant to point us in a direction where we will search for the solution. Hard shift. Who's excited about the Chiefs win yesterday? Come on, come on, come on. Do I have any other fans in the room that don't believe in the Chiefs? Uh, deacons, get ready to escort them out. All right. Uh-oh, we got one right back there. Okay, so welcome. Maybe you'll get saved. No, I'm just kidding. So Chiefs Kingdom. You know, I love that, by the way, because you know, you know why I love that? Because even in man in just looking at his sports realizes there's got to be a king and there's got to be a kingdom. And it ain't Mahomes and it ain't the Chiefs. Amen? Now, back to the Chiefs. You know, we want, where do we want them to end up? We have high expectations, even if our quarterback's limping, right? We have high expectations. 
In 2005, Tom Brady was interviewed by Steve Croft of 60 Minutes. He was 27 years old, and he had won his third Super Bowl. He had all the fame, all the money, all the achievements. And he said this. A lot of times I think I get very frustrated and introverted. And there's times where I'm not the person that I want to be. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what is. I reached my goal. I reached my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. Ten years later, he was asked again this question that he was asked after he said that by Steve Croft. What is the answer? And in that initial interview, he told Steve Croft, I wish I knew. Ten years later, he was asked, what's the answer? His answer was the same, I wish I knew. Since 2016, he's retired, he's come back, he's gone to another Super Bowl, and he's lost his family. And to this day, Tom Brady's still searching for that elusive answer that will bring meaning and satisfaction and contentment. And it is continuing to elude him because he's looking for the key of life in life itself. And maybe, maybe it's eluding you. Maybe you're looking for the key of life in the material things of this world. Maybe you're looking for it in the pleasure of this world. Maybe you're looking for it in the success of this world. What we find, by the way, I read an article this week out of CNBC that said that people that make more than $200,000 a year were asked, what will be enough income for you to feel secure? $1 million annually. See, they'll get that, and you know what they'll say? $2 million. The key to life is not in life. That's the challenge. Wrestle with the book of Ecclesiastes. Listen to the wisdom of the preacher as he takes you through his musings, his reflections. We're going to find some other refrains that will begin to point us towards the end. If you've got a skeptic, a friend, I guarantee you, if someone doesn't know Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, this is where you're living. Wondering, is there meaning? Is it all futility? Why bother? There is an answer. And it's life-changing. Let me pray for us. God, help us to walk with Solomon as we try to figure out the meaning, the purpose, the satisfaction, and the contentment that you designed us for. Lord, we confess that it's easy for us to look under the sun rather than to look above the sun. Help us to look to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This podcast was produced by Journey Bible Church in Olathe, Kansas. If you're interested in learning more about our church, 
visit journeybible.org. Thanks for listening.